broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio inside the Gas South Convention Center in Duluth, Georgia, it's time for Gwinnett Business Radio. Gwinnett Business Radio is presented by Regions Bank, Brave the Beginning, member FDIC, an equal housing lender. And hello again, everybody, and welcome to another award-winning edition of Gwinnett Business Radio. Mike Salmon alongside Harper LaBelle from the Business Radio X studio, the Gas South at the Gas South District. And uh, Harper, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Mike. How about yourself? Wonderful. Looking forward to a great show. I think we're going to have one today. We are in the Subaru of Gwinnett studio. Let's take care of some business real quick. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we love being a part of the show, and love is what makes a Subaru a Subaru. You can enjoy the big savings and hassle-free experience at Subaru of Gwinnett, where people sell cars. The Impreza, Legacy, Forester, the Ascent, the beautiful BRX, they're all available for you. And you can visit at SubaruofGwinnett.com. You can join their family today. You can come on in and see the difference. They're located at 2950 Satellite Boulevard in Duluth. If you're already a Subaruist, then check out their Facebook page for the latest news offers and community events. Our guest today, Harper, Dr. Uh, Harane Shaw, is here with Psychiatric Professionals of Georgia, powered by Geode Health. And also, Christy Height and Riley Womack are here from Peachtree Christian Health. But let's start with Dr. Shaw, Psychiatric Professionals of Georgia. Good morning, doctor. Good morning. Thank you so much, Mike and Harper, for the invitation. Absolutely. We're looking forward to this conversation. Psychiatric Professionals of Georgia, powered by Geode Health. Tell us what your practice does. Sure. And let me start by saying I thank you guys for kind of bringing the topic of mental health to the public, right? It's a big issue right now. And and over the years, we've noticed it's kind of ramped and changed, especially post-COVID. So in 2017, um, a group of four partners, myself, Dr. Akosa, Dr. Nagaraj, and Dr. Sagara Brechtel, decided to go private. And a lot of it was as we were seeing the issues in a hospital structure and some of the other things where we were very limited on what we could do. So going private was kind of our revenue, our, our avenue, and we, we built Psychiatric Professionals of Georgia starting in 2017 from the ground up. Felt like our goal was to provide like a higher quality of care and access to care that's, that was kind of limited based on insurance and funding and everything else. And so we wanted to make sure we could access anybody and everybody, right? This included insurance payers, private payers, whatever it may be, because we want to be open to the majority of people. So I think we started and just realized that growing a business was a difficult task, but it was something that was very enjoyable because when you do it on the ground up, you get to build it the right way instead of getting forced into a bubble, building it their way, if that makes sense. Um, and then COVID hit, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface this because COVID changed everything. <clears throat> well, we went from having to see patients in public to having to see patients online overnight was something that mental health didn't allow, right, beforehand. Insurances did not allow it. The government was restricting it. So there was very limited access to online services prior to COVID. Um, and since that, uh, I would say that our, our business has ramped from four partners to currently nine employed um, MDs, about 20 um, extenders, which are called nurse practitioners or physician assistants, and approximately 20 therapists in the area, and realistically doubling in size by the end of this year to next year. Um, and so it's been a great opportunity to grow a practice that's based on mental health care that's complete. So not just the medical piece, the therapy piece, the ancillary services, we try to do a little bit of everything. Um, and that's why we're trying to be coverage from top down, so including providers, but also just with therapists, just with ancillary services. So 
it's just something we felt like we've built and grown over the years. Congratulations on your growth, first of all. When we're talking about mental health, talk about the the, the, the types of issues that we're dealing with, the types of mental health, and, and, and the ages of who you're working with. Is it young, old? Does it run the gamut? Um, it runs the gamut. Uh, so our group is pretty diverse, like I said before. So I'm actually a child and adolescent specialist, so I go three and up. Right. The majority is six and up. Three and up has to be a rare exception. And a lot of those are, you know, developmental disabilities and some complications. Um, but we actually just added our geriatric psychiatrist, Dr. Dev, and she will see 65 and up. So the gamut is full and the majority of everybody sees adults. So we can kind of cover top to bottom. Um, and I hope that answers the question. Yeah, and then types of mental issues, I guess depression, what are the kinds that are out there that you're So it's actually pretty broad, right? So mental health traditionally has always been schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, some mood disorders in general, and anxiety disorders. Um, so we definitely cover everything that's that's always been there, but we also have to deal with a lot of some of the newer stuff, which has to do with the substance abuse, and we deal with the geriatric population, so we do help out with dementia and complications related to that. Um, ADHD is a big issue in this day and age, but since COVID, it's become a lot of the childhood trauma kind of issues. You know, whether we call it true trauma, physical trauma, or just the trauma of going through that experience of a lockdown and, and your life changes still applies. So that's added a lot of depression and anxiety symptoms across the board. Um, but we will treat pretty much everything and we have someone who can handle every bit of it. You mentioned earlier, I have a thousand questions sure. for you. You mentioned earlier that there were some limitations with hospitalization and mm-hmm. your ability to contact through that. If you were king for a day, or had the ability to make some decisions to ease some of those regulations? What, were some, what would be some things that would help make it easier for you to deal with some of the clients that you have, as opposed to regulations that make it more difficult? Certainly. Um, so a lot of regulations that make it more difficult are as simple as access to medications, access to treatment. Um, the person who needs this type of treatment, I'll be very blunt and say, back in the 80s, if I needed some type of treatment, I could probably prescribe it and get it done in a week. Um, and over the years, now it's a 30 to 60 day process to get something approved and the odds are it's going to be denied. So if I want to escalate a patient who's got severe depression to something like uh, escatamine or some of these newer treatments that we offer, um, it is a six to eight week process of getting it approved and the odds are it will be denied and then we have to appeal it versus we know they need it. Right. We have an actively suicidal patient who's going to benefit from it, but I have to wait six weeks to get something approved and the cash basis isn't allowing it. Right. Or if I need a hospitalization for a child, well, there's only three units in Georgia that take a certain insurance in a certain area and none of them are within 100 miles. So access to care has become a bigger issue, but a lot of that is because of regulations, not just because there's not availability there. We may have availability, but not for your age, not for your insurance or not for your location. Now, some of the difficulties, uh, I would imagine the delay that you just mentioned, is that because there's been an abuse of power in one way, shape or form that has prevented, Hey, we had a problem and this suicidal person was given medication too quickly. We need to slow down the process. So we're just going to do a blanket uh, statement and make everybody have to suffer because we had one individual that was, uh, one way, shape, or form, you know, the bad things happen. And again, if you were the king for the day and had the yeah. ability to change it, is, is there a way to speed up the process so that we can get medication to somebody in a faster format? 
Um, if I was king for a day, yes, the process would be very easy if I could just make an application. Someone approves it on the other end who has the same kind of knowledge that we do of the patient and what's going on. In, in all honesty, my belief is that everything's become a little bit more cumbersome and complicated. Um, and you guys know that too with anything in life, whether it's applying, I mean, appealing taxes or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. So now the process has become cumbersome because of cost. And that's generally the, the issue. These are expensive treatments. So insurance is going to put a lot of regulations on getting it approved. And, I, and respectfully so, they probably need to. But I also feel like they don't have enough staff or manpower to handle the questions and so forth. So it's a six-week wait for a lot of things that may not need to happen. There's a lot of issues. I mean, the, the great one for today is, hey, you guys know about the breach that happened with pharmacies going on just this week. So now all of my patients who have coupons and, and codes for extra coverage, they're not going through, right? So access to care is out because they can't get their medications because there's a breach at the pharmacy level. So again, there's a bigger picture here and there's no workaround to a lot of things. Um, so if I was king for a day, yeah, it would be great to have an expert in every field at every level so that we can get everything approved when necessary, rather than a lot of stop gaps that we can't control. I won't put you on the spot like Harper is, but uh, let me ask you, how quickly could I see a psychiatrist if I needed one? Oh, great question. So to see a specialist in our field, and when we say specialist, that includes any of our um, great extenders. So that's nurse practitioners and APPs who have, actually have a little bit more access. Uh, within two weeks. Uh, generally speaking, we could do something sooner if necessary, but we like to say two weeks because of the fact that we want to make sure we vet your insurance, get you the right coverage, so you know what you're expecting for, for your insurance coverages, right? So we want to make sure we have all the background we need, including labs and, and primary stuff, so we can provide you the best care and get you the best person. But generally, two weeks is realistic. Um, we, if there's a crisis or a hospital discharge, we can do something sooner. Dr. Harim Shah is with us in, in if you don't mind me asking, when did you decide that this was a path that you wanted to go down? Was it in adolescence or was there something in high school or a college course that you took that said, this is really where I like matching my skill set yeah. along with my educational level? I would give you, I'll try to keep this one short because this is actually a longer answer for me. Um, I think I decided fourth year of med school. And the answer is, is I've always been... You can't great. wait any longer than in your fourth year, can you? Exactly. So I actually... <laughs> right had, there at the very end. I had mentally declared I wanted to do cardiology first. So, okay. so internal medicine to cardiology, because that's just how my mind works. I have an engineering undergrad, and the logic and the way the processes work with... Uh, with the heart seems to be very much more in the science world of what I loved. But then when I got to interacting with patients, the interaction wasn't enjoyable. And I did a couple of child rotations, pediatrics, and I ended up loving talking to children. So my passion became child and adolescent psychiatry um, from my fourth year of residency. And I wanted to be able to interact with people and create a diagnosis and a story for every patient rather than just following an algorithm to figure out what the next step was. And I think that was, so I would say fourth year of med school. Wow. Yeah. I have an interesting perspective that, that at least I learned when I was coaching kids. You need to speak a different language, don't you? An mm -hmm. adult language doesn't always work with children. Like swing harder doesn't mean the same for me when I'm explaining that to a four or five, six-year-old. Swing harder for them is the exact opposite. You hold the bat really hard, and yep. that's not what you want to do. You just want it to be a little quicker. So using words very carefully are critical in that respect. Did you learn that as well? Oh, yes. That's a very great point. And also, I completely agree from coaching my kids' uh, sports teams as well. They don't, they, don't, they don't hear what you're trying to say. They hear literally what you're saying. So they're very concrete, right? So if you say, 
like you said, hit it harder, they're going to hit it harder. That doesn't mean more accurate or in the right place, right? So getting that, that concept of concrete to abstract changes how you talk to kids, right? They're going to be very black and white. You know, there's, there's a yes and a no. There's no maybe, right? There's a right and a wrong. There's no gray. So a kid has to be talked to in a way that makes sense to them. And, uh, and I think that uh, is something I learned at a very younger age. But it's also teaching the parents to do that with kids. Mm-hmm. Even though we should know that, even, even though I can teach it, I'll be honest, I probably don't practice it with my own kids. I expect them to know better when they shouldn't. Um, but that's true with every parent. Welcome to the club. Yes, right? that's yeah. true with every parent. It's also the volume of how you speak. Because I mean, just, just right now, you're very soothing. You've got me very relaxed just talking to you. So um, great job there. But talk about, um, you, you mentioned uh, different locations. I had a chance to have a tour of your beautiful facilities right down the street here, Satellite Boulevard in, uh, in the Duluth area. Mm-hmm. But uh, you mentioned you have several locations. Can you share where they those are? Yeah, um, I, I appreciate that question because that, that answer is constantly changing uh, in a good way. So Swanee's been our home, Swanee Duluth area. So it's a Swanee down the road, not Duluth. I think I agree with you. It's probably Duluth, but on paper it's Swanee. Okay. Um, but but the point of it is that's been our home, and that's where we have uh, roughly two large buildings, so almost 23,000 square feet that's just us. And we have uh, we base everything out of there. But we have Athens that's up and strong, going strong. Gainesville is going well. Alpharetta is a recent open, probably six months to a year. Uh, Norcross is the other location. So we've kind of covered the south, but we're adding a lot more. We're currently working on Covington. We have leases signed for Brookhaven and North Druid Hills. Uh, Augusta opens in two weeks. Savannah opens in April. So we'll be, we'll be spreading pretty quick. Too bad you don't have a whole lot going on, Doc. That's a shame. <laughs> oh, but yeah. Yeah. It's a- yeah. What are it, you mentioned now? Children, if I can, or let's do adolescent high school. Sure. Some of the things that have been going on for years and years and years, you know, the depression and um, kids that just mm-hmm. don't know how to cope very well. And you mentioned that COVID is changed things, right. and everything's been different since then. But there's still people that either want to hurt themselves or hurt others that are out there. And what what's what the initial steps that you would have if a patient comes through and I recognize there's a problem, but here's how we're going to try to fix it. What, what's one of the first principles that you, in, in, in basic observation? I know it changes. Sure. Everybody's individually different. I certainly understand and respect that. But just some of the basics that you say from an algorithmic perspective. Correct. What can I do to help this person? So the, so the very beginning, the first thing you got to do is get to know the patient, right? And we always say that because you don't know why they're feeling the way they're feeling if you don't know the patient. Right. So being suicidal is one thing, but why are you suicidal? Right. There's some phenomenal um, stories out there that that will tell you what's really going on. And sometimes things get missed. Um, So maybe they're not actively suicidal. Maybe they're thinking that the world's better without me. And that's more depression and sadness. That's low self-esteem rather than I hate myself or something else that's going on. Or is it an outside influence? Right. So with the child world and everything else, the, the, the plan would be to meet the patient, spend enough time with the patient and the family to build as, mu- as much of the background as we can. And the primary thing you have to do in that situation is ensure safety, right? So the first thing you got to do is make sure that the patient is safe to function. Can we go home? Can we go back to school? Um, so safety comes first. How do we do that? Well, we basically either come up with a safety contract and escalate services if we need to. In that moment, if I feel like that patient is a danger to self or others, I may need to escalate it to either an intensive outpatient program, a partial hospitalization program, or an inpatient unit. Um, being private, we ha- we are about to launch an intensive outpatient program, but we don't have one yet. But we do have 
referrals and contacts throughout the community that we partner with to get patients the right access to care. And so that safety first has to matter. But then the next steps would be to finish the assessment, find the underlying issue. It may not be depression. It may be something else, whether it's a different mood disorder, whether it's trauma, whether it's anxiety, and then start to try to target the root cause, not just with medications, but with therapeutic approaches as well. And I imagine when you find all this out, did you try to provide a little bit of hope, a light at the end of the tunnel that's going to help everybody get better? Well, that's always the goal. Yep. Yeah. You talked about uh, COVID, how it changed everything. And you said you went to a lot of virtual um, uh, meetings and, and uh, sessions. What's the percentage these days? How many virtual sessions are you doing? How many in person are you doing? Is it hard to get an in-person session? Oh, that's a great question. So our our philosophy within Psychiatric Professionals Georgia Powered by Geode is very simple. Everybody should have access to in-person, right? Um, every office is designed that the providers work in-house and that we have access for the patient to come in if they choose to. Now, by choice, if you choose to do something online, uh, you're allowed to, right? If it's more convenient for the patient or if it's easier or if it's distance, I understand that because during COVID, our range went from, you know, 10 mile radius to 300 miles because of access, right? There's nobody in South Georgia that has access to a geriatric psychiatrist. And I may be exaggerating, but you get my point. So telemedicine for 300 miles is better than no access. Um, So yeah, so every patient we generally require or want you to be seen at least for the first visit in person and, and at least once a year following that. But you're welcome to come in person every time. And honestly, I prefer it for my patients, but I do give them the choice. So we're about 50, 50 in what we're actually doing right now. But that 50-50 is driven by the patient's decision, not by the provider's decision. What's your personal preference on video uh, observation? You're, you're limited to mm-hmm. two, two-dimensional. I understand that. Yeah. You may not be able to see somebody whose leg Correct. is 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 ticking Tapping, underneath right. the table. So um, just your opinion in general. It, it is a way to see right. more people, right. I would imagine. But uh, it also has some limitations, right? Uh, has a lot of limitations. So saying it very bluntly, um, I would prefer in person 100% of the time. But I would rather do a virtual appointment than no appointment. And and so what I mean by that is access does matter. Um, convenience does matter for certain patients. I'd rather them be able to see me in three months rather than not be able to get off work and, and come in on you know, and lose a whole day or lose a half day. And it actually gives us a lot better access to a lot of the children. We're able to check out for a period rather than lose half a day driving down from Dahlonega um, to come in and see us. So I do think that there has to be a blend. Um, but in terms of quality of care, I, I don't think anyone's ever going to debate in person. It's not better than virtual. But technology allows for that. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine your first, second, maybe a third visit in person would be preferable over and then maybe a follow-up or yes. later coverage would be more advantageous to have the video. Correct. Strongly agree. I yeah. think the the stable patients who need a video follow-up, it's it's one thing. The patients who are a little bit more complicated, um, we would prefer in person, especially like you had said, we have to be able to watch for movements and stuff like that that you can't physically do. The exams aren't the same. The vitals aren't the same. We need to see people in person. And especially that now we have therapists who do therapy-only roles. The in-person connection is not the same as virtual. So in other words, the in-person is much better and strongly recommended. Is there anything in a technological phase coming down the ramp that uh, is like, for example, I know that Mm -hmm. there's a lot of doctors that have physical paper here and they don't want to do that anymore. So everything is on your computer screen, or at least you have the ability to walk around from one uh, patient to another and and have it all in front of you Mm -hmm. right there and then. Is there anything else that you 
say this is going to make it a lot easier, a lot better. We're going to be in, we're going to enhance our technology. Anything down the pipe that you know of? I mean, I think uh, technology is so rapidly changing that so our electronic health systems have adapted so much so that AI is start, starting to be integrated across the nation for different um, types of medicine. So I can see a robot instead of you. Is that what you're telling <laughs> you, me? You could see a robot or a robot can write my note is more oh, realistically. Oh, there we go. Right? Yeah. Uh, a robot can interpret data a little differently. Um, but in, in all honesty, I'm hoping down the road, I've heard some stuff about AI where I could actually do a virtual visit in virtual space. And that's going to be very different where I'm actually able to see a virtual person rather than, you know, have a virtual office rather than just a monitor or screen. And that's when we get there. But again, I don't want to push anything that's not already out there. So, Dr. Shaw, with, again, Psychiatric Professionals of Georgia, powered by Geode Health, how does one make an appointment? Uh, that's an easy question, actually, now. Um, you can go to our website or just Google Geode or Psychiatric Professionals of Georgia. Our website is www.psychiatricprofessionals.com. Um, and basically, you can either make an appointment directly. You do not require a referral, but we'll vet the information given to us. And if we need some further medical background just to ensure safety, we will we'll request it. Um, you can also have a provider make a referral. There's direct links on there that say new patient, and you can fill out the forms online and submit them electronically. And that's pretty much all we really need to do to get an appointment process started. A okay. phone call will also work as well. Okay. And for more information regarding any of this, your locations and so mm -hmm. forth, the services you provide, the website people should go and check out is? www.psychiatricprofessionals.com. Psychiatricprofessionals.com. Dr. Shaw, Psychiatric Professionals of Georgia, powered by Geode Health. Correct. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Very eye-opening. Did you learn something today, Harper? Yeah, I learned how easy it is for me to get you an appointment, Mike. We'll get you taken care of <laughs> in no time. I have some issues, I guess, that, but, uh, that need to be taken. But it's great that, as Dr. Shaw said at the beginning, people are talking about it now. I mean, it's something it was taboo to talk about. And you see it a lot with professional athletes now coming forward and uh, people, you know, CEOs. Uh, so it's, it's, it's nothing to scoff at. It's, it's serious stuff. And we've got some professionals here that you can, uh, can take, take good care of you. We'll take a break and we'll have more right after this. Life is full of ifs, but if you want to cash flow like a pro and get paid up to two days early, safeguard against surprises and supercharge your savings, Regions Life Banking makes it possible. Regions Bank embrace the if in life. Regions Bank, member FDIC. For the first time ever, the Atlanta Gladiators podcast will now be on Business Radio X. Be on the lookout for new interviews each week as Director of Broadcasting and Communications Liam Donimer chats with Gladiator players, coaches, and even representatives from corporate partners. For tickets, partnerships, and more, visit atlantagladiators.com or call our front office at 770-497-5100 to chat with a Gladiator representative today. Atlanta Gladiators Hockey, draw your sword. Before we get to our next guest, a reminder that we're here to help your business's financial future stay on track. Regions Commercial Banking has a team of experienced bankers in Gwinnett who can guide you in all areas of growth. Get the resources you need so every step can move you closer to your business goals. To learn more, visit regions.com backslash commercial dash banking. Regions Bank, member FDIC. Well read, Mike. Yeah. Good job. I know Stephen likes you to you say the member FDIC, he, he, but I didn't give you that chance, did yeah, I? No, you didn't. You uh, you you took control. Well, That's you've been talking you enough today, so I figured I'd you know let you rest up the vocal cords for a second because we've got two more great guests, and I know you've got some great questions, right? 
Absolutely. I'm ready to go. Christy Height and Riley Womack are here with Peachtree Christian Health. Now, Christy, you are the program director. I am. And Riley, you are the marketing and recruitment specialist. Yes, so we thank you both for joining us. Uh, Christy, tell us about Peachtree Christian Health. What does your organization do? We are an adult day health facility. So it's a place where those adults who need a little bit of safety or supervision during the day can come and be engaged, have a good time with other friends, socialize, which is a really important factor for some of our aging adults, um, get clinical care if they need that while they're there. So this is not like with my mom, she's in senior living. This is not senior living. Correct. It is not a residential facility. It's just a day program. So those um, individuals who are trying to keep them, families keeping them at home as long as they can before maybe having to make a transition to a residential care um, facility that they could come during the day um, and be busy so families can work, um, families can do what they need to do during the day, it gives adults places to go on their own that are for themselves. How long has the facility been around and how long have you been a part of it? Right. Uh, we actually were originally Peachtree Christian Hospice, uh, an organization that Scott Hudgens um, created and initiated in 2000. And we served families at the ends of their life until 2017 when the hospice model closed due to regulations. I started in 2016, so I was there for that. And then we transitioned when the hospice closed, the inpatient hospice. We wanted to continue to serve families. Uh, we constantly received from families when their loved ones were there at the end of their life, how they wished we were there earlier in the process, that they needed that support. They needed to know their family members were safe and loved, um, living a dignified life, even if it required some care. So we decided to just push that time frame that we were caring for them from end of life to maybe diagnosis or earlier so we could reach those families much longer. So our mission was really for caregivers to give them some respite um, and families to be able to provide for their families in the Th home. This setting. isn't a uh, chicken and egg type of scenario, but you were there and someone had the idea of doing this. And then obviously some of the patients, families were going, hey, like you said, uh, it wouldn't it be great if, if this existed earlier in their life because they mentioned how much, you know, my loved one mentioned how much it, we, we love. It was, it was vital. It was pivotal. So blending those two together and coming up with where you are right now, were there any processes along the way that we had to tweak it or fine tune it or this worked and this didn't? Right. Well, we're constantly fine-tuning and tweaking in a growing, you know, business and a new business model. So we pivoted from, you know, the hospice model to the earlier progression, you know, at diagnosis. And that could be any time in somebody's life, right? 45, 55? Right. It doesn't have to be in your 90s, does it? Right. We have individuals who are, have some developmental disorders, you know, or, you know, through their life disabilities. So they come earlier. Um, those individuals who might have a frontotemporal dementia diagnosis, those can be diagnosed in their 30s. Um, young onset Alzheimer's can be diagnosed in 40s and 50s. So we have younger individuals. And then we have, you know, mostly the dementia category would be older adults. Our average age is probably in their 70s, but we treat people, any adult, uh, over 18. As program director, what do your day-to-day -day operations look like for you? Right. Well, just trying to keep our friends engaged and happy, our staff having the needs that they meet. 
um, making activities that are meaningful, getting therapeutic services in there. We have music therapy, art therapy, um, gardening therapy was today, horticultural therapy, trying to get some interesting things um, to try to increase their brain um, function, doing learning new things, socializing, all the research-based um, programs that help their brains continue to develop, um, delay the symptoms from onset. Well, I want to ask you about that. Can you talk more about the benefits of the, the adult daycare and the brain health programs, and what are the benefits of, of going through the programs that you're offering? Right. So I actually, I brought some stuff because it just came out. We do impact surveys with family members, the caregivers themselves, on the benefits to them for having their loved one in a safe environment. We also measure data on what they're seeing in their loved ones. And what is fascinating to me is over time, I get kind of expected when we started this off that we're working with individuals who have a disease that's gonna progress. They're gonna decline over time. You just expect it to decline. But what we're finding in these impact surveys is that over time, they're reporting significant improvement, improvement, or even more importantly, no change in their loved ones. Um, symptoms across 10, I brought it, so I, <laughs> I wouldn't, I see but across little, 10, yeah, right, across 10 measures of health, um, quality of life, happiness, um, memory, physical function, things like that, that the families are seeing that in their loved ones, they're seeing improvements, which yeah. I didn't, even no change is a, is a good thing if you have a progressively declining disease diagnosis. And then what's really great, too, is it also helps the caregiver. So their ability to work, all of them are reporting, you know, major significant improvement in their quality of life and their sleep and their anxiety and stress, particularly is the one that we see the most improvement in is their caregivers the stress and anxiety that they see. So Well, Christy, Mike says that my brain doesn't work. So you're telling me that there is hope. There, there, is, there is hope. Some hope for and me. I love <laughs> that you say that because we have our friends, they're so often, if you ask any adult, their biggest fear is that they're going to get dementia. Like that is a number one well, fear, fear of aging, and it's a real fear. Yeah. But then we're our friends come there, we call them our friends, when they come there, they're like, it's not so bad, you know, like they see hope at the end. They're like, I'm not doomed to a terrible life. I can still thrive and engage and have friends and do new things and um, stuff. So I love that. There was a 90-year-old lady that I met a couple years ago, and we were having a casual conversation, and I asked her a question, and she goes, oh, um, uh, she goes, my brain just doesn't work. And I knew just from my basic conversation, I said, no, your brain works just fine. I think you're just reaching back and you've got to find it in the filing cabinet off in the room on the left. And it's there. You just you need a little extra second or two to be able to find it. She goes, thank you so much for saying that because I want to hear that. That I, I can still speak. You, you, you don't know what people receive from you when you're speaking, but my ability to just encourage her say you're you're fine you you're great it just you just need a couple extra seconds and that meant a lot to her I guess you supply the same type of encouragement when you can see right. it right yeah I had um, one of our friends said that it, it just broke my heart word finding was a problem um, for him he just couldn't couldn't make a sentence and he just looked at me and he said do you think I'm a freak and my heart just broke, and yeah. I said, no, no, I think you're my good friend and you're a wonderful husband and a great father. I said, but, he said, my, 
And he pointed to his brain, and I said, "Right, you just—it's there. It's just hard to get to." You and he just—he yeah. just smiled and he said, "Thank you, thank you." So sometimes it's just reassuring them that they're okay, that they're not—you know—that it makes sense. It's a processing disorder for most of them. It's just there's a—they a, have to access it a different way than they used to do, um, and it can be challenging. But that it's not the end, and we still you know, love them and care for them. Um, and they have great dignity no matter where they are on their journey. And as your business grows, you need people like Riley to come along and to help and to say, hey, <laughs> we, we we know there's more people out there that need help. Right? right, absolutely. He's a great asset. So I can focus on our friends and making sure they're having a good day, have what they need, and then Riley can answer lots of questions. So as marketing and recruitment specialist, Riley, I assume yes, it's your job to get people through the doors. Yes, get people through the doors, enrolled, um, have them and have, have you, them engaged. How do you do that? How do you get them there? Um, a lot of it, what we're finding is I manage the website, and of course, um, we get a lot of word of mouth. So whether it's uh, friends and family, people that have heard about our hospice before, that know we've kind of transitioned and changed into what we are now. Um, but focusing on building community connections with other, whether it's with physicians, with other organizations is huge. Um, we are, have good relationships with the VA. Um, they provide um, um, funding for um, our veterans that have um, dementia, Alzheimer's, these other neuro, neurodegenerative diseases. So working on those connections and to, to, to communicate to the community, get out in the community is the right. big thing, yeah. Well, there's no doubt you're doing good work, and it's really necessary, and it, it has so many benefits for the aging population. You mentioned the VA helping out. A question people may have is, does insurance cover this? How, how is this covered? Unfortunately, Medi Medicare does not. Medicaid has a waiver program, um, and we can try to help with referrals for that. Um, so the, the sources are usually long-term care, Medicaid, the VA, private pay, um, is probably about, I think we're about 50% of our friends pay um, out of pocket. We, as a not-for-profit organization, are blessed to be able to offer scholarships. Um, we raise money, so we have a scholarship program. Uh, we were recently, in July, we'll be able to offer a cost-share program for those who may not be on Medicaid, who may be financially struggling um, and then, you know, when families are thinking about options for their adult day health is about 25% of the cost of a residential facility. So it's super more cost effective. And we find that if you start earlier in the diagnosis, I won't go through all the statistics and stuff, but if you start with an intervention, any intervention, adult day health is just like a combination of interventions. It's like the supercharged intervention program. You can um, keep your loved one in the home on average twice as long for half the cost as if you didn't do anything. So we encourage people to get out there and, and I'm hearing discount make... that's what I'm hearing <laughs> hey how, how do you what are some of the fundraising uh, events that you have is it a golf tournament is there other things that you like to do we used to do that um, we have a caregiving scholarship fund so a hundred percent of any donations that we receive um, go straight into our scholarship fund so a hundred percent of that goes to the friends and our friends and their families who need um, support either through scholarships, through transportation needs, um, educational support, things like that. 
Um, so we we really just fundraise through families. We've had great success, you know, in the past. Uh, we found that the the golf tournaments and galas and things that we did with the hospice they took so much of the staff time. Um, and we really want to focus on our friends. So we've stopped doing those big tournaments, but you know we do donations throughout the year. So we have great corporations and individuals who support us. Riley, you're too young to know any of this because you don't have any gray hair, right? He's, he's uh, a young guy. But what, what do you see in, in the future in terms of the growth rate and how you can touch more people's lives and get to know them as we age in population. I'm sure you're mm-hmm. seeing uh, there, there's a bigger need out there than I first understood. Tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually, this is my, I'll be eight months here in the current position. I started when they opened from the hospice, transitioned over to the hospice um, as a program assistant. So I was actually in the program doing activities with everybody. I got to meet everybody in the program. I was there from the first day when we had our first participant, our first friend came to the program. Till now, I've gone to school. Uh, my degree's in healthcare administration, so I know about that aging population. I've been taught about that, I've learned about it, I've seen it like in practice where, where I am now. Um, and a huge thing um, is the awareness, because like you said earlier, um, it, mental health and dementia kind of has been a taboo. Like these people um, that we serve, they have a tendency to get holed up in their house with their family or without their family, unfortunately, and they just sit on the couch and watch TV. They're not staying active. So in order to get them to us and to get the help they need, they need to get out of the house and build those and really focus on getting the, um, getting into our program, um, or similar programs. Maybe that wasn't the correct answer to your question. Sorry. No, absolutely. I I would think the, the, the fear, if I'm going to use that word, of going from I've been alone for such a long period of time, I don't know if I can acclimate back into with a, I'm too busy being the grumpy old man to, to, to do other things and be around other people. But once they get there, it, it, everything changes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, right? Hey, Susan, Bob, hey, good to see you again. I missed yeah. you. Yeah, we, we've had people that come to us before. Um, first impression from the family when we meet them say, oh, they're not going to want to be here. They're going to, the entire time, they're going to sit in the back, arms crossed in a recliner, yeah. and just B- say, I'm not going to do language, that. I'm not right? bad body yeah. language, yes. So, um, but what we've noticed is after those first 10 visits, so that first 10 days at our facility, they open up, they become comfortable around everyone because they realize we're not judging them. We're not there to tell them what's wrong with them. We're there to help them and to help them in their struggles with their condition, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So getting them engaged in our program while also um, rather than focusing on what you can't do, focusing on what you can do. And that's what we do a lot with our therapy. So we have horticulture therapy, music therapy, art therapy, and those all are creative outlets for people. And creativity at the end when you're done with any of those activities, you have something you can look back on and say, wow, look what I can do rather than what I can't do. Um, so we see, like I said, after the first 10 visits, that's really um, when we see those people start to open up more and they're more willing to let them let us help them. Um, and I think, sorry to interrupt, yeah, and absolutely. I love you know that Dr. Shaw brought up the COVID. COVID was terrible for our aging population. It was a huge, they were told to stay home, that they, you know, you hear lots about the ageism that came out from that. You can't get grandma sick, You that grandma needs to stay home. 
Um, and socialization, there's more and more research being shown on the devastating impacts of um, being isolated in your home and not yeah. socializing. I think they say it's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. The long term is if you're not socializing as you age, you may as well smoke 15. And, you know, and I always tell our friends that when they come, like, did you smoke 15 cigarettes today? They're like, oh, gosh, no, I would never do that. And I'm like, well, you came here, you know, you're doing what you need to do to take care of your own health. Marlboro Reds or Camel filterlesses <laughs> is better for you than being alone is what you're saying. I mean, don't Well, they're don't showing more and more research is showing that um, isolation in your home has the same health outcomes over a long term as smoking. Yeah, and I, I think there's a real stigma there of asking people, well, we don't want to get grandma sick, so is there the possibility that grandma feels like she's the problem? Even though she has nothing to do with it, no one wants to see me because I can't get sick. You know, and turn it internally in, into a, a horrible situation for, for grandma. Right. I mean, that happened all the time. I mean, you saw the, the awful stories coming out in COVID. And, and, you know, young kids, you know, my kids were, they hated the whole COVID. They wouldn't, they didn't like the online stuff. Um, but, you know, the kids are being told these narratives that we can't get grandma sick. We can't get grandpa sick. You know, we can't, they'll, they'll die or whatever. So there was a, this big stigma that, you know, began or was perpetuated through that COVID So how do you crisis. rebound from that? What, what are some of the ways that you kind of dodge and parry and go, okay, we're still going to help take care of people, and we're going to have to do it in a little bit of a different way because of the damage that's been done because of COVID? Right. It's just getting them out of the house, like Riley said, is just getting them and, and helping them feel secure in the community again, that they're an important, valuable part of the community. I always tell them there's so much wisdom in this room. Like we added up how many years of age everyone had, and it was like 1700 years. You know, I'm like, you all have so much wisdom, so much to share. And I learn from them, you know, more than probably they learn from me. But I, you know, we always are encouraging that, but just getting them out of the house. So I would encourage anyone who has older adults, you know, grandparents or spouses or anyone just to stay active in the community, find ways to continue to socialize, um, whether it be with your church community or your neighborhood or friends. Um, and if they do have a diagnosis of dementia, don't be afraid to continue getting out. It's so important. Those communication skills, you know, spouses know just by looking at their loved one, what they need. But when they come to us, they have to verbalize it. They have to vocalize it. So they're using things, use it or lose it kind of thing, um, by being around other people and other family members um, or in a facility um, like ours. Great message. We should probably end on that. But I do want to ask a couple real quick questions here as we wrap up with Christy and Riley with Peachtree Christian Health. Now, there's a Christian in there. It's not just Peachtree Health. Uh, talk about how how big is the faith part of it? Is that some, are some people going? Well, I'm not very big into my faith. I don't know about this organization. What what does the Christian part? What does that mean? Right, that is from our origins. We um, began at the beginning as Peachtree Christian Hospice was an offshoot in a ministry. Scott Hudgens um, had Peachtree Christian Church downtown was the kind of the ministry. We're now you know on our own independent um, not-for-profit now. So it's just part of who we are and have been, but we serve people of all faiths, all backgrounds. Okay. We don't have, you know, we do have optional devotions for a lot of people. Um, their faith is very important. 
for some people it's not at all. So we, anytime we have anything that would have any religious nature to it, um, it's an optional activity. No one's required. We make sure that families, you know, let us know if they can't advocate for themselves. We make sure that they have other things to do. But that's a very, you know, it's more who we are than has nothing to do with who we okay. serve. And the website for people to find out all and any information they need about Peachtree Christian Health? www.pchlec.org. And the PCHLEC? Yes, Peachtree Christian Health Life Enrichment Center. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Is there a phone number, an address, if somebody wants to come and visit, or other ways of communicating outside of the web? If you want to get out and actually enjoy the yeah. experience? Right, right. We offer free three-hour trials, so anyone who's interested but they don't want to like go full, we always make sure that they come um, for a free three-hour trial. Um, You're on Duluth Park Lane in we, Duluth? Currently, we are on Duluth Park Lane, but that was a 25,000 square foot facility, yes. a very large one. Um, and we're only are utilizing, you know, about 7,000. So we're actually going to be moving right down the road from here. So on April 1st, we'll reopen in a new location off Meadow um, Premier Parkway, Meadow Church Road. Yeah. Um, we'll be right next to the American Red Cross. So we'll have a really convenient um, location there. That's April 1st. We'll start our doors. We'll open there. We're on Duluth Park Lane till then. And they can reach us at um, 770-324-8421. Riley, any final words? No, I, I don't have anything. Go to the website. All the information yep, is there. He's too young. To he's, 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 just a, he's just a kid. He doesn't have any gray hairs or anything like that. And he's well, working very with cool. Those. Two organizations kind of in the, awesome. in the health field that we had today, both growing. Uh, Christy and Riley, thank you so much for joining us. Thank oh, you. Thank you very much. Christy Height and Riley Womack with Peachtree Christian Health. And a thank you again to Dr. Shaw with Psychiatric Professionals of Georgia, powered by Geode Health. We learned a lot today and got a couple places for you to go. You know, we can get you figured out, Harper. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm ready to get enrolled, I think is what... Uh, we have a lot they, of fun. <laughs> they, we have a, they have a lot of fun. Yep. And uh, so, well, again, thank you to our guests and our sponsors and our listeners. And uh, Harper, any final words for you? No, I just uh, love the uh, idea of people trying to help others that have yeah. some uh, difficulties in their lives. And so there is hope at the end of the at the tunnel. And, and our two guests, well, our, our two businesses, three guests that we've had today are yeah. right in line to help people out. A great Love show. It. If you want more information regarding the aging population or mental health issues, uh, just some, some great information, some great resources that everybody should take advantage of. Again, uh, thank you to our producer, Dan, as well. Until next time, for Harper, I'm Mike, and we'll see you right here on Gwinnett Business Radio. Mm-hmm.